This interview is made possible by the VIEW Conference, the biggest computer graphics conference in Italy. Our dates for 2022 are from the 16th to the 21st of October. We hope to see you in Italy or online. For more information about VIEW Conference, please visit our website, viewconference.it. We are really excited to be here with Domi Shi, who is the writer and director of Turning Red and with the producer of Turning Red, Lindsay Collins. Welcome ladies. We are so happy to have you here with us. Domi, why did you decide to pursue a career in animation? Yeah, um, so I've always loved drawing uh, ever since I was little. And I think I got that from my dad who is, um, he was an art professor. Uh, in China, and he was he painted a lot um, when we immigrated to to Canada. So I was always surrounded by you know like paints and pencils and charcoal, and um, it I quickly found out that it was kind of like a like my superpower, like that was my way of connecting with people, of making new friends. Like at school, I remember like. I had this little business where boys would pay me a dollar to draw their favorite Pokemon or girls would pay me money to draw them with their favorite crush. Uh, and I would like sneak them a drawing and then they'd give me money. And then I realized, oh my gosh, I want to do this for a living. Uh, and in high school, I kind of, I started posting a lot more artwork online. I got more involved in online art communities like DeviantArt uh, and Blogspot. And uh, I was introduced to these artists um, who went to Sheridan College, which was a, a, a college that was close to where I lived. And they were part of this thing called an animation program. And I didn't know what that was. And I looked it up and I was like, oh my gosh, like animation, like that could be my way to pursue like drawing and being creative and, and telling stories with drawings for a living and hopefully not be too poor so my parents won't be too worried about me and that's what got me into uh in, into animation and of course I've always loved animation and uh, anime and, and manga and, and I just I love it as a medium so much because it's so powerful and visual and it's able to talk about such complex and sometimes dark uh subject matters but like kind of a, a, a talk about it in a very like appealing and interesting and accessible way. And uh, yeah, I just fell in love with it immediately. And uh, so I pursued animation for that reason. Ooh. All right, Lindsay, <laughs> to you. Yeah, it was kind of a fluke. I mean, not a fluke, but it didn't, it wasn't anything that I kind of went into college, certainly going, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go into a career in, in film or, or in the arts. And in fact, I, I majored in diplomacy and world affairs. So I, um, I kind of was more thinking kind of international and, and language and, and stuff like that. So what happened was I, you know, kind of landed a couple of internships during college working um, for like local television stations that were doing kind of kids shows. And, um, and so there was some interest there for me of like, oh, that's interesting, kind of taking some um, kind of some interest in the change or the impact in at, at, a, at like kind of a kid level and kind of what entertainment could be. Um, but it wasn't anything I ever thought about. It really was something where I was left college and I had no real understanding of what I wanted to do other than I had this degree. And I didn't really want to go into the, I kind of was like, maybe I'll go to the state department. And then I was like, Ooh, that seems like a lot of work. <laughs> so I, um, so I kind of had a friend who was working at Disney feature animation and, um, I, I reached out and said, you know, let me know if there's any openings and, um, kind of not knowing anything really about animation or, or kind of how it was made. Um, other than I liked it as an audience member, I would go and see all the movies, but I never kind of questioned like, how does that, how do they actually make those movies? Um, and so he let me know that there was a, there was, they were looking for a production assistant. Um, and, and so I went in for an interview and kind of was, had a perfectly fine interview. They called me back and said, listen, we have two positions. One's in cleanup and one is in backgrounds and knowing nothing. I thought cleanup sounded like janitorial, like I was going to be cleaning the buildings. And so I said, I don't, I think actually I'm going to go with, I'll choose backgrounds. And I had no idea what that meant. Um, and I started work kind of 
you know, in, in 1994, about a couple months after I graduated from, um, from college and it was kind of, I'd seen obviously the most recent movies that had come out were like, you know, Little Mermaid and then Lion King. I mean, so it was kind of this renaissance, if you will, of, of Disney feature animation. Um, and so I was excited, but I just didn't know what it was and, and got there and, and realized very quickly that, that being surrounded by people who were doing art as a living um, was not only like so invigorating and impressive, but it was also something that I, I related to, was able to communicate with, was able to kind of learn a lot every day coming in. And also I felt like I brought something to it. I think my, my experience not being in the kind of traditional art world, but coming from a liberal arts and, and kind of, um, kind of questioning and curious background um, actually kind of worked for some reason. It was this kind of, they thought I brought something to the table <laughs> when I was like, really? You guys are impressive. So um, I worked at Disney and, and realized very quickly that this was um, something that was so not only kind of um, rewarding kind of from, a, from an ultimate what you put into the world, but just on a daily basis being surrounded by people who were the best of the best of what they did and were so um, collaborative and creative that I just, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine leaving. And I just, it turned into this long career of working in animation. Let's go. I'm Maylin Lee. I wear what I want, say what I want, 24 seven, 365. I know, it's a lot. But I don't got time to mess around. Oh, about that hustle, am I right? Poor town. This is gonna be the best year ever. And nothing's gonna get in my way. Breakfast is ready. Coming. It's gonna be me. Ah! Is everything okay? I'm a gross red monster. Don't look at me. Stay back. This happened already? What did you say? Our ancestors had a mystical connection with red pandas. Are you kidding me? This little quirk runs in our family. Oh. You're so cute. Sick. I've always wanted a tail. I'm a freak. We love you, May. You're our girl. <sighs> Whoa. You're you. Any strong emotion yes! will release the panda. Abby, hit me. Do you know how dangerous this is? You'll get whipped up into a frenzy and panda all over. OMG! My whole life I've been perfect little May May. But maybe I like this new me. <laughs> Mama's girls. Stop! <laughs> Tell me more about the genesis of uh, Turning Red. So back in 2017, I was just finishing up Bow and um, Pixar approached me and asked me to pitch free ideas for a feature film. Uh, I knew at the time that I really wanted to do a coming of age story revolving around a girl because that was just a genre and a, and a theme that I just really, really wanted to explore. I wanted to make a movie for that 13 year old me who was struggling with her body and her mom and her friendships and her life at school uh and and turning red just kind of uh like that that was how it kind of came about i i pitched it as a story about a girl going through magical puberty uh which sounded so unique and weird and specific that, you know, I, I, I feel like that's kind of what drew Pixar to it. Um, it was also the most, I think, autobiographical 
uh, idea out of the three ideas I pitched because um, I feel I felt very similarly to May when I was growing up in the early 2000s as well. And uh, and and yeah, and, you know, I think Pixar just is really drawn to specific quirky stories that deal with universal themes. And I think Turning Red is 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 another great example of that. And um, and why pandas? Uh, because you know I love red pandas. I think they're so cute and underrepresented in in media. And it just felt like a really funny and unique, but also like perfect metaphor for puberty. Like it's red, like your period, like your face when you get angry or embarrassed. And it just uh, just in my head, it was just such a funny and cool image of this girl who like hulks out, but instead of turning into a big green monster, she turns into this giant awkward red panda. Lindsay, how did you come on the, on the project? I was actually uh, running development at the time. Um, and so I had finished Dory and, and was kind of in charge of, of the development department, which was basically what that means is that I'm working with all of you know the directors as they're coming up with their ideas for what they want to pitch to the studio. And, and then after they've pitched and an idea has been selected, kind of working with them to get that idea kind of developed and, and kind, of, um, kind of fleshed out so that they get ultimately approved to go into reels and into production. So um, I, Domi came in, um, I think right around, I mean, I wanna say like about a, a few months after I had gotten there, I think into development or I'd started working with it and, and was kind of you know starting to work on what her three idea pitch would look like. And then her, her time in development was a little funky because she was obviously kind of in development and then was getting pulled out to go and finish um, working on Bao. You know, I mean, it was like there was, Bao had some, had some really weird stop and starts because of, of staffing. And so there was like these little moments of opportunity where Domi was like able to think about development and what was next, but she was also still finishing up Bao. Um, and, but she'd started to work on these three ideas. I got a chance to work with her as she was coming kind of up with what they might be. And I found myself so not only impressed by the ideas she had and, and charmed by these different kind of visions of what the movie might be, but also just how Domi worked and how she thought and kind of her quirky sensibility um, and how she would come in every time and pitch kind of the development of the idea every time it was like this kind of surprising and funny and weird um, kind of little story that had these like characters that weren't your typical kind of, you know, vague characters. They were really specific. And, and um, as a result, you know, as somebody who's worked on a few of our films, like, I just know that that's gold. The minute that a director comes in and is like, here's my, here's my idea. But the minute they can say like, and here are the characters, with such uh, specificity and charm kind of right at the very beginning, I was like, wow, that's, that's something that usually takes us like two or three years to find. So um, anyway, so I, I worked with her in that and, and kind of was secretly hoping and wishing and, and had my eye set on um, hoping to, to work on, on whatever Domi was doing next and whatever idea was chosen. So I, um, I think kind of positioned myself and I think, um, you know, probably begged at some level to, to work with uh, Domi on her first feature because I was, I was just, I had a sense that maybe it would be pretty great. <laughs> Tell me more about the filmmakers and the art styles that uh, influenced you. I mean, this is clearly a computer animation movie drawing a lot from 2D traditions. Yeah, so we brought on Rona Liu, a production designer, uh, pretty early on to um, help with uh, coming up with a whole new look for this movie, because I knew from the beginning, because our protagonist is so different, you know, like May is this like dorky, excitable tween girl bursting with, you know, energy, like we wanted the world that she lived in to reflect that. We wanted the style of the movie to reflect her, her personality and her character. Uh, so we drew a lot from our own kind of 
teenage experience and the things that we loved as teenagers, which was anime and manga and Sailor Moon and Ranma Half. And uh, <laughs> we were really inspired by the uh, the, the color palette uh, of, of, of those uh, retro anime series, because it's just so soft and pastel and romantic and really captured that like romance of being a, a, a teen girl in the city. And we wanted to like paint uh, Toronto kind of in that same way. Uh, we also, uh, borrowed a lot of, um, you know, animes, uh, like, like very exaggerated expressions and reactions, uh, because it just felt perfect, uh, for our character May, because she feels so much in the movie, like her emotions are just like bursting out of her. So it just made sense to kind of, uh, use a more stylized, um, kind of, uh, like, like, animation uh expressions and, and poses to like express those emotions so like the beaded sweat her eyes like popping out super wide when she's like really shocked or uh like her face kind of contorting when she's cringing really hard because she's embarrassed by her mom um yeah and then uh as we brought on more people onto the project like we you know we cast our lighting dp our layout dp um you know, our editor, uh, our, our animation supervisors, like we like all kept talking and communicating together and trying to figure out how do we stylize every aspect of this movie so it all fits. Because if one piece of the, of the film like isn't stylized in some way, it's going to stand out. Like if you have like very uh, stylized character designs, but like you know, the skin texture is very realistic or you have a very stylized, um, you know, set like in, environment like Toronto, but the water and the effects are very like harsh and realistic. Like it, that's going to like uh, clash and stand out. So every department um, had to kind of work together to figure out like, what is this look going to be like? And I think we, um, you know, like the, the terms that we tossed around a lot, uh, uh, was Asian tween fever dream like how do we capture that in every aspect of the movie but also chunky cute which is um just this visual aesthetic that R Rona kind of came up with to kind of describe how we design uh the details of the world like if you look at a, a telephone in the background it's not going to have all of the buttons it'll maybe have like a simplified like like instead of 12 buttons it'll have like nine or, or or six and like the edges and the corners of furniture like aren't perfectly sharp like they're kind of like a little bit rounded uh if you look at the edges of like, like you know like walls or buildings or objects like you like we we tried to avoid like perfectly straight smooth surfaces there's always a little bit of like um unevenness on everything and it just gives it that like more natural, um, irregular, but more like appealing uh, 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 feeling. Uh, so yeah, it just it just took a it took a village to to make this uh, chunky, cute Asian tween fever dream. <laughs> it's fabulous how uh, uh, May commands her space. Right, she's totally yeah. badass and she talks to the camera and. Yeah. She commands respect. So I think that's just, and it's subtle, it's visual. It's completely yeah. visual. Yeah. yeah, like it was uh, really helpful working with Pete Doctor, who was one of our EPs, because um, he kept reminding us, like, like yeah, yes, push the style, but always think about why you're doing it. Um, and to always kind of try to relate that back to telling this the the character's story or like, like how does it help support the character or the emotion in the scene and it's not just style for style's sake yeah but that sense of looking to the camera and you know addressing straight on and how she introduces herself like that was that was in the first script um mm -hmm. and in fact was even in the first um kind of in addition to kind of doing a script read um you know we also kind of boarded um, storyboarded that first scene because it's you know we can kind of in development choose how you want to how you want to present um, various milestones going through development so a treatment or an outline or and a script and 
some of that, you know, often you just kind of go right with the, okay, let's just read it off the page. And, and that's, that's great. But I think with this film and it was very intentional, I think from, you know, the beginning was to make sure that the tone and the voice that Domi was going for and that this character was going to have was apparent and that we were not hiding kind of how the voice and the, and the, and the tone of this film was going to be a little different. Um, so we kind of boarded that very first scene. Um, it's a little different than what actually ended up on the screen because a lot of it got cut, even though we went all the way through production on it. But that sense of like, I'm looking directly to camera, I'm breaking the fourth wall, I'm introducing myself. Um, that funny kind of charming um, kind of Ferris Bueller or John Hughes kind of 80s or 90s, you know, film like that was in the very beginning and it was used as part of the pitch um, to the executive team and to the studio um, to kind of show this was gonna feel different. And so there was no kind of discovery of that. It was very much on the page and, and in the intent and in the boards. A central theme of uh, Turning Red is women communicating and supporting each other. Uh, the girls are amazing. I mean, that that relationship is so beautiful. First of all, I think there was some of this was always in the at the core and the heart of the pitch of the story, which was this mother daughter, right, was this dynamic. But then to your point, as as the world got fleshed out and as the characters got fleshed out beyond that, those first two. Um, yeah, I think it was very much intentional and real and felt genuine to the experience of so many of us on the film to have a really solid and strong group of friends around May, you know, that it felt like not only was obviously, you know, if you're a middle middle school girl, do you have really close friendships, but often those are portrayed as kind of mean or that they're not super supportive or there's a lot of tension in that group. And I think that was you know, that was certainly a way we could have gone and we chose not to. And I think because for, for almost all of us on the film, I think that was true to our experience was that we had really close friendships in middle school, high school, whatever, growing up that were super supportive, that were that lifeline for us, that were the ones that, you know, when we struggled going to our parents with something, those friendships were the things that really grounded you and made you feel like things were going to be okay. So, part of that I think was was just you know uh, um, not being in reaction to what's out there, but being trying to be speaking much more from a genuine place of of experience growing up. And then you know, and then Domi you know could definitely speak to the fact that these aunties, who I'll be honest with you, I had a couple of aunties that were you know, growing up that were not nearly as hilarious and funny and, um, and bold uh, as the ones in the movie. But those, but those aunties also feel like they resonated so much with so many people on the crew, especially those that came kind of from a, uh, like a first generation or a kind of a bigger family um, experience and kind of just that like, like both in super intimidating set of aunties and grandma and like lineup of women, but also um, super loyal and tight. And, um, and when we showed the movie, you know, for the first time to an outside audience, those aunties, like that got one of the biggest laughs, that introduction from, from an audience that was like, oh my gosh, I have aunties like that in my family. So, um, so yeah, I think that was, I mean, I think as the world grew around these two main characters, there was something very kind of natural about it being kind of weighted more into female relationships. I think that was kind of true to most of our experiences, um, that those, those, those relationships and those dynamics and those friendships and those family dynamics felt true. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's exactly like Lindsay said, it just felt like when we were making, when we were writing this story about this girl coming of age and then kind of looking to our own uh, past and, and my own upbringing, I felt like the most important elements in my, in my upbringing were my friend group and my mom and all of the very strong women in my, and opinionated women in my family. Um, so it didn't, it's, it's funny, like the very, very first, uh, version of the movie 
didn't uh, place such a emphasis on her friend group or and that the aunties weren't really there it was like it was a completely kind of different story but uh I think it kind of evolved as we were making the story uh the the story evolved itself and I think a lot of it too had to do with like a lot of the you know you know working with this awesome team of female leadership I think really uh maybe like subtly kind of like put it like influence the story in some way and kind of at least made me realize how important uh in, in my life female friendship and female role models were in in me growing up and becoming the woman that I am. Why do you think it's important to represent women as protagonists? Because women make up over half the population of the world. <laughs> and uh and women are 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 awesome. They're interesting. They're they're flawed. They're uh crazy. They're smart. They're uh funny. Um and who wouldn't want to make movies and tell stories about them uh yeah I mean uh I it's so funny like like even on like an art level I actually I enjoy drawing girls and women more than dudes (laughs) um and I just feel like uh women have so many uh experiences and and stories uh that have have yet to be seen uh on on the big screen like I feel like I I was still kind of like a little uh surprised at how um how controversial or how shocked the audiences were that we included the topic of periods in our movie uh even though it's such a normal like phenomenon that every woman and and you know like every like so many people go through it and i feel like at this time in the 21st century that we're still kind of like clutching our pearls over that tells me that there needs to be, there still needs to be more stories and movies uh, written about women and by women. (laughs) I agree. I think there's also just there's sense of, um, and we found it, you know, as, as this movie was getting made too, like a surprise that, that there's an element of, of kind of surprise that there's so much nuance and also so much commonality between the experience of growing up in, you know, as a, as a girl versus a boy. And I think we had moments of people being like, really girls like actually talked that way or drew, you know, kind of like that and felt like, like got all sweaty and all that. And, And it was like, yeah, I mean, it's, on the one hand, it's not that different. On the other hand, it's just never been really represented that way. Um, it's been kind of, um, you know, either glossed over or maybe kind of, um, you know, minimized in terms of the the experience of growing up as a girl. Like it's been kind of, you know, relegated to, you know, this was a, this is a girl's experience, and and kind of it's kind of one note or maybe not as nuanced or not as um, or not as kind of messy, right? It's like there's just not that sense of of mess. And I think in some ways this film, you know, really did a nice job of showing like, oh God, no, it's all those things, right? It's like those girls are just weird and complicated and dorky and awkward and and at the same time really funny, you know, as they're as they're kind of growing up at that age. And I think um I just don't think it's really been seen very much. So I think that there's there's not only just even just from a commercial and storytelling standpoint, like how much fun that there's so much mystery still representing women and the accuracy and the and the the nuance and the specificity of 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 women. And I think it's like in a weird way, it's kind of a super untapped um, story, you know. The panda is such a big part of, of the movie. How did you find that balance between cute and frightening and nice and overwhelming? Again, it's, it's just a testament to our amazing uh, crew, our art uh, team, our characters team, our uh, everyone kind of working together. I knew from the beginning that she had to look cute um and and like her fur had to be really dense and 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 huggable and and grabbable um but uh she also needed to kind of like 
transform in a second from like cute to scary because that's kind of like like that that feels like the experience of like having like having an overwhelming amount of hormones and and like mood swings in your body like you go from like pleasant to like oh my god don't touch me like that felt very teenagery uh so we just explored a lot like like how do we do that with with her design but not like change it so much that it becomes too complicated unrecognizable um you know the simulation department did, did a really good job of like of of creating like hair emoting where like if she's like really angry or fired up kind of like a cat her hair would like kind of stand on end and get like messier uh with her expression change like you you kind of see her her hair is kind of go a little bit crazy or her teeth becoming a little bit sharper um lighting added like a glow like like a red demonic glow to her eyes when she's like really angry uh and then animation for sure kind of like um altered her performance and, and like kind of hunched her hunched her over and made her feel more like like an animal like a like a like a wild animal like a bear or something like that and I think um and we yeah it, it, it was just all of us kind of working together to kind of figure out like what what her what her model needed to be um but all of that it just came from like what was happening emotionally in the scene uh, like if May was feeling really like overwhelmed and, and like, you know, like angry, like when she's <clears throat> yelling at, at, at Tyler at the party. Um, yeah, like we all kind of got together and figured out like, how do we make her look scary? Also, what is the level of scariness? How much should we mess up the fur? Is she at her angriest here or is there more to go? Um, so just a lot of it was just like, conversations back and forth. Lindsay, anything to add? We played around initially with one of these ideas of like, you know, does she change? Is like, is her physical appearance as a, as a panda um, influenced by her level of emotion? Meaning we had these moments where, you know, we were like, does she get bigger if she's, if she's more emotional or if she's angrier? And that was partially because we were trying to figure out the way to lead up to that act three where mm -hmm. Ming was really big, you know? And we went around and around because sometimes people were like, well, what are the rules? When does it happen? How do we know, you know, why is she getting bigger or should she get bigger? And um, there was a lot of, as is always the case, especially when you're dealing with something that's kind of magical is like trying to figure out how much, how many rules do we need to put around this in order for it to kind of uh, be accepted by the audience, right? Like just to kind of understand what's happening. and kind of the more we did it, the more we realized we could just pull back and simplify it and just really make it about, you know, no, there's not, you know, a constantly changing or um, version of, of May as a panda. She, she looks like she looks and she is as emotional as she needs to be. And that will be through the performance um, that the animators give versus us trying to kind of show physically her changing um, too much because it started to feel like we were introducing all kinds of rules of the magic that we didn't want. Um, mm -hmm. So anyway, so I think there was just, it was, you know, from a kind of story standpoint, there was a lot of discussion about like, should we have all kinds of extra magical um, variables that we were playing with um, in order to kind of show her emotion. And I think the, the, the more we got it into animation, the more we were able just to be like, no, no, it'll be fine. The animators <laughs> can totally, you know, show whatever it is that she's feeling. And it's just as when she's angry, it feels just as terrifying as it needs to feel. And we don't need to worry about whether, you know, she needs to grow bigger or grow fangs and change her whole form. It's like they're, they're going to be able to deliver it based on the character design and the actual performance. I was amazed by the, by the performance of Sandra. Oh, uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about what she brought to the character. Ah, oh, she's amazing. We we love Sandra. We're <laughs> we're like we we were huge fans before, and even bigger fans now after working with her. Um, yeah, for the character of Ming, for May's mother, we knew that we needed an actress who could 
who had a lot of range because that character is so complex and uh and it could so easily veer into stereotype like into the tiger mom kind of territory but uh i feel like sandra was is is like the only actress that came into my mind that that had the the range and the ability to like play this character who could be all at once like sharp and you know strong and and scary but also warm and loving and protective and also funny and kooky and uh kind of crazy and 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 out there and um and Sandra just brought all of that and more like I remember like there were certain scenes just like in script form that we were like oh man is this gonna be too too harsh but then she like performed it in such a way that like really grounded the character and real and always made us feel like like Ming was coming from a place of love even when she was doing crazy stuff on on the big screen and then uh one of my favorite performances from her is like when she goes full like like monster <laughs> mode like that we did in like one take and and she just brought out this like demonic amazing uh but hilarious uh booming voice and she's like go home where are your parents like it was just it was amazing and and she's just the loveliest person as well and also she's canadian which was like we have to cast her (laughs) i mean i think when we were it's funny when we were talking with the people you know that we the disney voices um casting for international and, and you know we were walking them through kind of the choices and why we cast the people we cast and anything they need to know and one of the things that was that came up was like look she did she did that performance as a as a monster herself like we tried we were like oh we're gonna obviously have to do some sound effects stuff to her voice to make it feel monstrous and we did it and it felt weird we didn't we were like oh no we miss hearing Sandra's voice in there and she did such a great job of delivering that performance Mm -hmm. kind of with her own voice and then also again when she was uh, you know, her young self and she kind of becomes her own kind of teen version of herself in the, in the third act. Again, that was her performance. Like we didn't really mess with her performance. She was able, I mean, just just shows what a range yeah. and how, how kind of skilled she is as a, as a performer that she was able to kind of hear the direction of like, now you're, a, you know, a 14 year old version of yourself. Mm-hmm. And she was able to kind of bring a youthfulness to her performance and a, and a vulnerability to her performance without really having to affect it at all. Um, it just, I think people maybe not, don't realize how hard it is to not only deliver this amazingly nuanced and, and hugely, you know, huge range of performance um, in the standard way. And then also you have to become a monster and you have to become a 15 year old version of yourself using your voice. Um, it was, it was amazing. Yeah. Oh, one of my favorite uh, things that she did because she's also really good at ad libbing and like improving on the spot too. Uh, it's that scene where um, uh, Ming is looking through May's sketchbook and she's making all of these sounds like oh oh oh, oh. like <laughs> we, yeah we just like all of that was Sandra like we just had her like like just 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 go for it and and every page that you flip is more scandalous than the last so 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 she just came up with those sounds and it was just really funny and uh just a treat for the animators to kind of like riff on and and mess with so that was really fun (laughs) i want to ask you about one of my favorite sequences the bamboo forest can you tell me about that sequence and what you were trying to do and what what the message is yeah uh so that was yeah the brainchild of like me and julia cho the other uh screenwriter for the movie um and uh for a while that scene wasn't in the movie i mean some version of it was but it wasn't in the astral plane it wasn't in the bamboo forest until maybe like the last couple like the last two screenings I think Lindsay yeah I think so. um, yeah yeah uh I we knew that um we needed this scene between May and her mother where they kind of 
almost say goodbye to their old relationship. And for May's mother, kind of like it's her saying goodbye to the little May and, and letting her daughter grow up finally. And for May, it was a scene where, you know, she uh, needed to kind of like cut the cord with her mom, but also admit that it's very hard and very emotional for her and, and, and sad for her to um, say goodbye to this relationship because growing up, there is a sadness to it. There's a bittersweetness to it. There is a loss that's, that's happening. Um, there were versions where like they had that conversation in the destroyed stadium, like in the like rubble and like four town was watching her friends, everyone was watching, but it felt very odd. And so we came up with this idea of like, Oh, like what if we, uh, you know, when they do the ritual again, when they turn Ming back to, you know, her, her regular state, they, they get transported into the, into the astral plane, into the, the spirit world of their ancestors, um, you know, uh, and, and that felt like a more intimate and magical place where it could just be the two of them. And we don't have any other characters around to kind of mess with the, with the mood or the, you know, the feeling of the scene. Um, yeah. And then, uh, like what they were saying to each other was also something that we had to iterate for a while on. And it was Julia. Oh my gosh, she's brilliant. She like came back to me one day with this, uh, draft of this scene, uh, where she like had written out like what Ming would say to, to May, because it was so tricky because we couldn't have Ming say like exactly what we wanted her to say because that just didn't feel true to an Asian parent. Like Asian parents don't say, I love you and I accept you no matter what, go be your best self. But we wanted to convey that feeling without having to go into fantasy land. Uh, So, you know, it was Julia who just came up with that awesome line, like, like the farther you go, the prouder I'll be, which felt so like perfect and true to like our experience to a lot of experiences of, of like these immigrant kids with their parents who like raise them with tough love, but they're very, very close only to like say goodbye to them. Um, and then I knew after I like read that, that I was like, okay, yes, that this is it. This, this is what she needs to say. Um, yeah. And then, you know, we gave it to, uh, you know, board artists, we like cut it together we like watched it on in, in the edit room and just like played around with the timing that the animators did like an amazing performance out of Ming like when she's like saying like I'm sorry like just the very subtle beautiful acting on her face Sandra's performance like it, it all kind of came together after that but I think it started with that that line like the farther you go the the prouder I'll be and and, and we just kind of went from there yeah I think I think I will I will claim that I was probably um I was I was impatient about that ending for a while um and in the sense that I was craving um excuse me something more from Ming meaning I wanted as a mom I was like you know I was probably poking for a long time I think at Domi and Julia like but what's Ming's deal like why is she the way she is the audience needs to understand her a little bit more right in terms of what's behind all of it and to Julia's credit I will say is that she was very patient with it she you know almost um just let it evolve and let the characters evolve as we were making the film such that by the time we were finally ready to address that act three and what what that needed to be, it it was a lot less mysterious because those characters were telling us what they what they needed to say and to some degree. And, um, you know, and I was impatient with it. I think I was like poking at it probably way too early to be like, no, it needs to be this or that. And and Domi's like, that doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel realistic to my experience or kind of, and I, and I think, you know, part of it was also just, you know, Domi coming to figure out what, what felt right, but also what felt satisfying, like for these, for these characters, um, in terms of what their resolution needed to be. And it, and it couldn't be nothing. It couldn't be like, well, 
all right, they're still kind of who they are and they're going on with their lives, but it also couldn't be something that felt like it, it didn't feel true to the characters. So um, it was the probably one of the last things that we wrote, right, on the film wow. that you guys kind of came up with that scene um, yeah. and, the, and the specificity of what was being said and, and who was saying what, and especially like the grandma. Oh kind of, yeah, the, yeah, um, all that stuff was like super late. Like when late. grandma reconciles with Ming, like that we added after the audience preview. Yeah. Like really, really late in the game. But yeah, all of that felt right. Like I agreed yeah. with Lindsay in that, like, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm craving something more emotionally satisfying. How do you balance that with like the reality of how a lot of Asian families yeah. don't really verbally express their love, but they, they have to, they, they do love and they show it through action. So I think we just had to figure that out. That was the last puzzle piece, I think. It's the emotional uh, uh, climax of the movie. And I, I think it, it, just, it just works if we listen to the words they say to each other. And probably as parents, it's just so difficult to learn to let go. And yeah, and it's also that one of the most emotional moments, I think that those of us that have had it and remember having, which is that, that time you realize your parents are flawed. You know, that time, that, that first time you see them cry or you mm-hmm. see them fail, you know, or like that's hugely impressionable. And so that moment where you, you know, we give May this kind of opportunity to be the adult for her mom to kind of tell her it's going to be okay to be the, you know, to be the the caretaker of her own mother as a kid. Um, I also think was, is something that felt very powerful um, in their, in their relationship to kind of flip um, their dynamic a little bit and allow kind of May to see her mom in a way that she'd never seen her before and also give her the opportunity to tell her it was going to be okay, you know. How does Turning Red relate to today's audiences? I think it relates to everyone and that everyone has has had that experience of of of, of messiness of of the messiness of growing up and and not you know recognizing yourself in the mirror when you wake up one day of of fighting with your parents uh you know every single day uh, for for freedom or for understanding or for for for, for something or for going to a concert uh and and yeah and 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 I think you know, even though it's set in 2002, um, yeah, like, like it's, it's, it just deals with that very universal theme of embracing kind of the messiness of, of growing up, of life, of, of it's okay to fight with your parents. It's okay to not be perfect, uh, and to be big and hairy and emotional and to take up space and to be loud, um, yeah, and I think that's a, just a very universal theme and, and message that we should that still applies, I think, even now, you know. Yeah, I also think if, even if you haven't gone through it, you're afraid of it. You know, it's like it's like you have I think we also talk about, you know, puberty or, or teenage years or all that stuff to our kids, you know way before there, or we always talk about it like, oh gosh, gosh, teenagers, ugh, you know, like you're dreading it as a parent. <clears throat> and I think you're dreading it a little bit as a kid. Like you're like, oh no, like I don't, that sounds, based on what everybody's saying, that sounds horrible. Um, and I think that there's something to kind of normalizing it and making it funny and charming and hopefully something that, you know, even if you haven't gone through it yet, you're at least kind of given a a window into it and a way to kind of laugh about it, you know? I always like to conclude my interviews asking uh, our guests to leave us with a few words of wisdom for all the filmmakers listening to us out there who want to become animators, uh, directors, and uh, producers. What would you say to them? Oh, ah, so much. Um, for me, like, uh, find your squad, like find your support system of fellow creative or or film enthusiasts, like, uh, who, who will be there for you 
to support you, but also to give you that tough feedback that you need um, to to grow as as an artist and a, and a creative. Um, you can't. I don't think you can grow or make things by yourself in a vacuum. I think you you need to feed off of other of other people um and uh you know like like find that squad like like may found in in the movie <laughs> i think i think you know also just coming from the the producer side I, I i think there's you know part of the job is also making sure what is is figuring out kind of how you can complement um the directors and the creative people you're working with in the sense that you're you have to be a little bit of a chameleon. Your job is to really kind of think about like what's missing in here and find your strength in that. I think I certainly kind of talked about that a little bit of coming into Disney early on and being surrounded by so many creative people and feeling kind of like, God, what can I actually bring to this dynamic? They're all very talented. And realizing that there's actually, there's real strength in what I do bring, which is often a compliment. It's not a replication of what they've got. Those strengths are their strengths and my strengths are mine. Um, and, and I, I strive to be a compliment to it. Um, and that means sometimes that I care deeply about schedules and deadlines. And then other times I don't, um, and that will be, that will change based on kind of who I'm working with and what they need in the moment. So kind of lead with curiosity, but also just realize that, you know, there is strength in finding a balance of skills um, versus feeling like, you know, you either have to be one thing or the other as a producer and, and be in contrast. It's, a, it's all about achieving the balance um, and being able to kind of strike that balance moment to moment. Um, and yeah, it's, it's not something super tangible, unfortunately. I wish it was a skill set that you're like, oh, I have this skill. But I think, I think, you know, people who, are, who love producing and who are, um, are in the film industry, they tend to they tend to kind of be the types that will find find that they have the ability to to adjust and to shift around the creative energy that they're working with and and to be the balance in that room. <laughs>